Today I want to talk about why we work, but I, I'm using the term work in a really broad sense. Like, why should you do the things that you do? Um, so, like, why do you do the things that you do? That would be a question to ask yourself right now. And, and hopefully you do things for God, like, you know, whatever it is. I mean, whether it's work or school or parenting or serving at a church or, uh, you know, all the volunteer opportunities, playing a sport, why do you do the things you do? And, and I think you'd want to be like, God, you know, like that, but that's probably not true, right? Like, for, for most people, the reason that we do things, it, it's driven by things that are not spiritual at all, like money. We all need money, and, and so, you know, for a lot of people, they just do a job that... Uh, that makes some money, and they don't think about any other purpose or reason behind that. It's simply money. I need money. Uh, you can think about impressing or pleasing other people. Uh, I think of, like, your family when you talk about pleasing other people, right? Uh, like, y- your parents, you know, they want you to do a certain set of things. They want you to be a certain way, and so this kind of dictates the things that you do in life. Uh, and when you talk about impressing people, that's usually our peers, right? Like, we want to look good. We want to uh, make sure that when we uh, go and see our old friends that, that we can tell them, hey, I'm doing this, this, and this, or whatever it might be. And so uh, that's that's part of it. Habit's part of it, right? Like we just do things because we've always done them and we haven't thought about them in 20 years and there may be in a, been a reason 20 years ago or whatever, but but now, like, it's, it's just what we do. We've always done it. Uh, sometimes we just do things because we're bored and we just need something to do. Uh, like, hey, I better do something. I don't want to sit around all day. <clears throat> I feel like younger people are better at not doing anything than I am. But for me, I have to be doing something. Uh, and then no reason at all. You couldn't give any reason for the thing that you do or the things that you do. And here's, here's what I think uh, can happen. Um, and this happens, you know, both just in our work. It also happens in the way we serve church. I think some people at our church are experiencing this right now because of so many transitions. If we're doing things with the wrong reasons in our hearts and our minds, then we're going to find our work, again, broad in the term work. We're going to find what we do unfulfilling and unfruitful. Like, it just won't matter. It won't matter to us, and a lot of times it won't matter to the people around us. Like, we won't accomplish much, but we also won't feel very good why... We are not accomplishing things. Uh, But I think the reality is that if we do things for the right reasons and in the right ways, which is an extension of that, I'll come back to that, then I think that we're going to find it fruitful and fulfilling. And so uh, today what I want to look at is this passage that just just like blew me away when I I read it recently. uh, this sermon will apply, I hope, to the things that you do for our church, for your church. Um, I, I hope it will apply to your work. I hope it will apply to how you interact with your families. I think it can just hit on the broad spectrum. But, but, but it started, um, and, and I, I wanted to preach on this today because, because of a conversation I had with my friend Neil. Uh, and we're studying through First Thessalonians together. And Neil's a police officer, which is a, a difficult job these years, as you know. And he's a police officer in uh, Portland, making it uh, more difficult in some ways. And, and we were reading First Thessalonians 1 together, and then we discussed it. And, and as we talked about this through the lens of the work that he does, I just thought, 
man, if every police officer, and Neil's awesome. I mean, he's the guy I want to pull me over, not just because I know him, just because of who he is, but, uh, uh, and because I know him too, that'd be helpful, but, uh, but also because of who he is. But I thought, like, if every police officer thought through the lens of this work, like, I think we would have just, you know, society would have a different view of police officers. If everyone did it, right? Like, and you'll see, I think you'll see that, and I'll probably come back to that at the end. And that goes not just for Neil and his work as a police officer, but in every one of our roles. If we thought through this lens of 1 Thessalonians 1, 1 through 3, I think it would just change how we did things. I think it would change the way people viewed what we were doing. I think it could just change everything. And so uh, I want to look at that uh, today. And here's um, what it says. To the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father our work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. Let me, I want to, those three phrases, they're so good. I don't, like, it's one of those, it's like one of those little sections of the Bible that it feels like to me, I could just simply, like, say, hey, pay attention to these, and then my sermon could be over, but I get paid to preach sermons, and so I'm going to go longer than that, um, but, uh, but, it, those, just those three, listen to them, like, your work produced by faith, your labor, labor prompted by love, love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, let me tell you at the beginning of this that this is an introduction to the book of First Thessalonians. And Paul writes this intro, but it, it feels so important and so heavy and so valuable. And, and, and while it's an introduction, like, hello, how are you? It, it seems to get right to so much about how and why we should do the things that we do. Now... Like most letters of Paul, uh, this is written to a church, and so it doesn't just have individual application, but it has corporate application. Like, we together should be about the things in the whole book of 1 Thessalonians, but specifically these things that we'll look at today. Now, the standard greeting, grace and peace, uh, that's like so, that's in every one of Paul's letters. But I think we should just, just a second, let me just point your attention to those because everything else extends from that in Paul's writings. He always starts with like these ideas of grace and peace and hope sometimes because I think he wants us to center our minds and our hearts on these incredible aspects that Jesus has brought into our lives. Uh, because when you write a letter like Paul writes, um, not that I know specifically how he felt, but you're about to tell people, hey, here's a bunch of things to do, right? Here's a bunch of ways that you should understand God. Here's a bunch of things you should do for God. Here's a bunch of sins you should remove from your life. Life. Here's a bunch of things you should add to your life. If you just start with that, nobody wants to listen to you. But if you can always bring people back to what they have been given in Jesus, then I think it changes the entirety of the way that we read the New Testament books. Like, if we're, our minds and our hearts are centered on grace, this unmerited favor, this undeserved gift that God has given us, specifically the offer of salvation in Jesus, then we can listen when Paul says, hey, don't lie, you know? Well, why? Because of the grace I have in Jesus. The same is true for peace. 
Man, as we move into a, a new year, right, like peace is something that our world and most people in it just lack. It's like there's no peace. And, and here at the beginning of this letter, uh, Paul reminds us that we have peace. And uh, peace is like the state of untroubled being. Uh, it's peace, you know, we know what it feels like, we kind of know what it looks like um, when we interact with other people, and so for us, like, there's grace, but that grace then leads to us having peace when our minds and our hearts are centered on Jesus and what Jesus has done for us. I love Philippians 4, 7, it says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And by the way, this verse, that verse that I just read is a call to prayer. And I think it's interesting that the Bible connects prayer and peace so frequently. And I would go as far as to just ask the question, like if you're lacking peace, are you also lacking prayer in your life? And I would guess that the answer would probably be yes. If you're lacking peace, you probably are lacking peace. Prayer. Now, the good side of that, if you go, oh, I'm a little guilty, uh, like if you want peace, then there's a simple step that you can take to have more peace, and that is to pray, right? I mean, that's a simple answer. I hope you got that. I'm not communicating very well if you didn't understand that. Like it's to pray. If you'll pray, you will find more peace. Matthew Henry, who wrote uh, the most famous commentary on the Bible, maybe, primarily because it's free everywhere on the internet, um, he, he said this uh, about just this idea of praying and peace going together. Let me be thankful first, because I was never robbed before. Second, because although they took my purse, they did not take my life. Third, because although they took everything, it was not much. And fourth, because it was I who was robbed and not I who robbed. And, and he kind of gets to the heart of like, what it looks like to have peace in all circumstances when we pray. Because when we pray, we are centered on God and God's will in our lives, and that changes our perspective, which leads, which leads to peace. Now, Paul, in the middle of this, and I love this, he, he says, you know, grace and peace, and then he's like, talks about how thankful he is for these people. And I'll say that I think we need to be more thankful for the people in our lives. This is one of the things that I love about Paul's writings, and I know it's a pause uh, before we get to the, the main three phrases I want to look at, but it seemed like there was so much here. Like, we're just not that thankful for people. And Paul, he, he like says things like, I always thank God every time I pray for you. And then he goes on to tell people why, and specifically we're going to see some of that here, why he's thankful for these people. But Paul was so thankful for the people that he served Jesus for and served Jesus with. And I think as modern Americans, like we, we struggle to be thankful for other people. And we should be. We should thank God for the people in our lives. When we talk about peace and prayer, I think that one of the ways that we can find some of that is simply by thanking God for the people that he's put in our lives, whether that's our family, our friends, our, our boyfriend, girlfriend, spouses, children. Like, we should be thankful for the people that God has placed in our lives, specifically for the people that God has put in our lives that help us stand firm in our faith, that push us to move forward, that actually are making a spiritual Christian difference in us. And so Paul says all of that, but then he's going to go on and he's going to talk about 
why he is thankful for these people specifically. And it's those three phrases that I've already read. Work produced by faith, labor prompted by love, and endurance inspired by hope. Now that won't, and not every translation has those exact three phrases, but similar ideas in all the translations. But I think that the NIV version, it like really gets to the heart of it in this case. And, and it shows us exactly what Paul is talking about. Now, before we look at the three phrases individually, um, the three words there, faith, love, and hope, they might sound familiar to you. If you've ever been to a wedding, then they will sound familiar to you. And it's not from this passage. You're not like, faith, hope, love. I, I've heard that somewhere. It's not from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. It's from it's from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is the love chapter. And you've heard it before, you know, love does not envy, it does not boast, etc., etc. And at the end of that, in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, he says, And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Interesting, interestingly, in Colossians 1, 5, we see that faith and love actually spring from hope, which is a crazy idea. We hope, and that allows us to love and to uh, have faith and and so these words are are connected uniquely in scripture and they're kind of like three legs of a stool that we can place our lives on faith hope and love and specifically in our passage today he puts this as the stool in which all of our work all of our doing all of our effort should be built upon faith hope and love now here's the thing if our if our work is not driven by these things then it, it can have a dangerous effect on us um in fact um in first thessalonians uh 5 8 we see that our work can be a danger to our spiritual lives if it's not protected by faith hope and love some serious darkness can come upon you and frankly the world if it's not driven by faith hope and love these ideas are really important for both the health of your life for your satisfaction in your work no matter what you do and for the good of the people that you are working for and with and so with all those things in mind I want to look at these phrases individually I think they're so good I love them I loved them as soon as Neil and I started talking about them the first is Work produced by faith. So your work should be produced by faith. Your work should flow out of your faith. Uh, faith is an important idea, right? Like if you know the Bible at all, you've, you know faith is a, is a really big deal. But when I thought about it in connection to work, it, it, it was clear to me that there's really two ways that faith can be used biblically and, and have it be the producer of our work. Uh, the first would be like through the lens of, of Hebrews 11.1. 1. You've maybe heard this verse before. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And, and this is fascinating because it follows a chapter that we know is like the chapter of faith. People call it the hall of faith. Uh, and, and it's a chapter in which there's all these descriptions of the work that people do for God. And I find it fascinating that the next line we read 
is a description of what faith is. It's being sure of what we hope for and confident in what we cannot see. And so in some ways, work that is produced by faith is produced by an expectation that God is going to fulfill his promises, that he's going to do what he says he's going to do, that you can trust him and rely on him even though you can't tell how he's going to come through or what it's going to look like. You can stand on that faith. But the other way that our faith must produce our work is like in the, you know, capital F faith, like in, in the big faith of the Bible, and that is faith in the work of Jesus and what he's done. We, we read this together already, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Faith is the connecting piece of salvation. It's what we do. We believe as Christians that God looked down, saw that we were sinners, saw that we had a broken relationship with him, saw that we were hopeless and peaceless and could not obtain it on our own. And so he stepped out of heaven in the person of Jesus. Jesus came. He lived perfectly, sinlessly. And then he died on a cross for our sins. He was resurrected three days later. And when we become a Christian, we do so not by working our way in, not by becoming better, not by working harder or sinning less or, you know, adding more virtue, but by simply placing our faith in the work that Jesus did that I just described. And so in some ways, that's what produces our work, that we believe that Jesus saved us, and our work should be an extension of that. Now, as I say that, and as I wrote that even, it's like, well, these two things clearly go together, right? Like, no matter how you parse the idea of faith, like, we place our faith in Jesus, and as we do that, we come to a place where we have faith that he will fulfill his promises in us, that, that, we can, that we can trust him even when the circumstances don't seem to be there. And so in those ways, faith should be the producer of our work. That's the first kind of leg on this stool. When we work, the thing that produces it should be our faith in God. But he adds to this, our labor prompted by love. Now, when I read this, my first question is, what is the difference between labor and work? Those are used synonymously in language and in our culture. Uh, and, and the simple answer is, is really just that labor is harder in the Greek language. I mean, that's, that's just the difference. Like, work is a generic term, and labor, it, it, we can use it that way, right? Like, I'm laboring along, like, this is uh, laborsome, like this is hard, and, and that's really it in Greek. There's another question that I thought of. What is the interplay between faith and love here? And, and as you, uh, one author said, you might say like this, faith works by love. Galatians 5, 6 says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love, through love. And so here, what we have is this idea that we work as faith produces it. But when work gets really hard, there's one thing that can keep us going, and it's love. I mean, we could say it like this in English, like work would be like, I'm going to work. But labor in Greek would be like a beating of the breast or uh, the beating out or weariness. And so when your work gets really hard, whatever that is, parenting, going to your job, being a friend to somebody else, serving in the church, when it gets really hard, 
even if it's produced by faith, there must be, there must be love if you are going to continue to do the work. We might read it something like this. Work is produced by faith, but work when it is hard is produced by love. We might work based on our faith alone. I've come to believe in Jesus, and so I will do these things on God's behalf. I will try to parent my kid in a certain way. I will try to pastor in a certain way for me. I will try to be a friend in a certain way simply because of my faith in Jesus. But if that faith doesn't produce love as described in Galatians, then when it gets hard to continue the work, we're just going to do it. We're not going to do it anymore, or we're going to do it in a different way. I mean, if I don't love my children, right, like I can parent and I can try to parent in a godly way, but when they're just having, and they don't do this ever, and I'm being serious, they're here, but like uh, I never struggled this much, but, but like if they were just going on and on and on for, you know, a whole week and like they just never relented and being disobedient and mean and crazy and fighting with each other, then I would have somebody else's kids, but um, I, I would, uh, I, I would I, if I didn't love them, I would just give up and I just start yelling at them, right? Go to your room. I don't need to talk to you anymore. Like, just be in there and, and that's it. But when you love, you can continue to work and work in the way that God wants you to work, even when it's really hard. Um, one of the, just the best things God did for me as a pastor uh, was, and some of you have heard this story probably too many times, but it, it's a driving force behind the uh, behind the way that I try to do the ministry that I do. Um, we were having a small group, and as a, as a warm-up ex- exercise, icebreaker, warm-up, icebreaker, those are pretty close. Um, we, we did this thing. We've done this um, in different settings through the years at our church, but we, we put rocks in, like, a bag, um, and we put a different fruits of the Spirit on them. So love, joy, peace, you know, kindness, self-control, all those things. And we put them in there, and then, and then we have people grab... A rock out without looking and they grab the rock out and then they look at the rock and they see a word on it and then we say hey take you know five minutes or whatever and find a space in this house or this room I think we were in an apartment when we did this right when I became the pastor and, and ask God why he might have given you this rock now we don't think it's like God's you know divine intervention necessarily in giving this rock but like whatever rock you grab why would God have given you this rock And the rock that I grabbed at that small group was love. And I sat there and took me one second. I said, God, why would you give me this rock? And and God was like, as you pastor this church, and I was brand new as a pastor, as you pastor this church, I don't want you to deal with people. I want you to love people. And it changed everything for me. And there's sometimes I fall back and I forget the rock. I still have the rock. but, But like it was so clear to me. And it's helped me through the years because sometimes people just feel like they need to be dealt with, right? Like, okay, what do I got to do to get them to not talk to me anymore? You know, like, what do I got to do so that they're happy enough that they're not bothering me? These things come up. But love compels you to do it differently. Love compels you not to just deal with your people, your church, or your kids, or your friends, or your spouse, but to, to do the work that God wants you to do, even when it's hard. And if you think about your job, right, like, you know, you might go to work and work kind of hard because of faith, but, but if you add love to that, 
how different does the work that you do look when you show up every day? The way that you treat people, the effort that you put in, the way that you're trying, even, you know, for the people that you'll never see, maybe if you work in a large corporation, the way that you're trying to respect and love them and what they're trying to accomplish as the leaders of that organization, it can change everything. And so you need faith and you need love if you're going to work the way that God wants you to work. And there's this final phrase. It would be the easy one to skip for me, but I like it a lot. I think it's so important. Endurance inspired by hope. Here's the thing. Even if our faith is being produced, our, our work is being produced by faith, and our labor is being prompted by love, we really run the risk of growing tired, right? Like, sometimes we want to give up. This job will never get better. This company will never be the right way. This church will never be what I want it to be. My family will never you know, be perfect, like uh, this friend of mine will never, you know, break that addiction, like we can go down the line, and, and there's times when it's just, it just grows tiresome as we work, in whatever way we are working, it can grow really tiresome, like we can just get tired of doing the work that God has put in front of us, and here is the other leg on that stool, if we're going to keep going over time, then it's going to require us to have hope. We're going to have to have hope. Uh, Rudy is one of my top five favorite movies. There's this line that nobody here will know but me, but his friend, right before his friend dies in the mining accident, um, they're sitting there, and it's Rudy's birthday, and he gives him the jacket, for those of you that know Rudy. Uh, and uh, they're sitting there, and and the, and the guy looks at Rudy and says, having dreams is what makes life tolerable. And I've always loved that line. I think there's some truth to that. Um, but the more biblically sound idea is really that having hope is what makes life tolerable, that allows you to keep going. Uh, hope is not just a dream biblically. Uh, it's a reality. Like, we we expect something to go in. I have a basketball hoop really close to my head right now, and... Um, uh, I look like a trailblazer, uh, and, uh, and you know, when I shoot a shot, right, like I hope that it will go in, but that's not hope in the Bible. Hope in the Bible is expectation that it will take place, that something will take place, and for us, when we think about our work and, and hope, it's not the expectation that God is going to do things in the exact way that we want him to do it, because you know, sometimes he won't. Like, it's not always going to go exactly how we, we want it to go, but we take hope in a couple of things. We take hope in knowing that God is working things for good. We take hope. I mean, we expect that. We know God is working these things for good. Even if they don't look good, even if it seems bad, God is working this for good. And so we have endurance through that hope that God is actually at work here and he's doing something good. We also take hope in knowing that God responds to our prayers. That isn't wishful thinking. He doesn't always respond in the way we want, but we know that he does respond, and we know that he's responding in a way that is good. Like I've already said, that he's responding in a way that is good. We take hope in that, and we take hope in ultimately knowing that our work will matter in eternity. Not because everything, again, that we want to have happen happens, but because because we're worshiping in that work. And because we look forward to an eternity where all things will be set right. And where God will look at us, we hope, and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And so we don't 
have confident expectancy that everything is always going to be perfect. Like, I'm going to keep, you know, letting my faith drive my work and my love drive my labor. And, and then I'm expecting that everything is going to be right and this job will become perfect and my family will be perfect and my personal life will be perfect and my friend will be perfect. And oh, it's not that. My church will be perfect. It's not that. It's definitely not that. It's just knowing that as we work, we have a partner in God who is working all things unto his end. And he is good and he is working in a good way, responding to our prayers and partnering with us in our work. And we can expect that. We can have hope in that. I think about, man, um, I think about like people who work, and, and I did this for a couple years, but who work with homeless people right now. And, uh, and, and you know, when we did it, I, I would have needed to be reminded of this. Um, but now it's, it seems it's a problem that it seems like nothing good can ever happen, right? Like, I mean, like, there's too many homeless people. We're never going to solve that problem. Um, the, the people that we see on the streets are so far gone. I mean, what, like, you ha- like if, you, if you work with homeless people, you have to get to a point where you're like, what am I doing here, right? I mean, your faith might produce your work, and your love might help you keep going in a very hard ministry, a very hard thing to do, a very hard you know, life effort, but unless there's some level of hope, you know, that God can change lives, that God does change lives, that God's partnering with you, that God is using these moments, if there's no hope, then you're not going to last very long. Even, I mean, just take away like this, you know, national problem of homelessness and just put it onto your, your friend, I keep saying your friend, but like, you know, you got this buddy that, that just like, it seems like they're never going to get it right and they keep messing up their lives or whatever. And, and you keep investing and investing and investing and you're like, I have faith, right? And I, I love Jesus and I know Jesus wants what's best for this guy. So I'll, I'll work and I'll be here and I'll be in this. It'd be so much easier to just be like, Bob, I don't care anymore. But I'm going to stay in this because of what Jesus has done in my life. And you love, you love God and as an extension, you love Bob and, and Bob keep mess, keeps messing up and keeps messing up. It's only hope that keeps you going, right? Like eventually God can get a hold of this person and change his life. Like, I can't change his life, but God can change his life. It's hope that keeps you going when Bob just keeps doing the wrong, stupid things. If you do ministry at all, you know this feeling, right? Like, people are people. It's never complete. Um, It's one of the things I don't like about my job. I like to build houses sometimes because I would look at a house and be like, done. You know, but we as people, myself included, I'm not done, right? And I'm sure the people who I pastor feel the same about me. I wish Chad would get done someday, you know, and figure it out. I wish that guy would be fixed all the way, but it's never going to happen. And so we keep enduring because we have hope that God is moving us forward, moving us forward. I absolutely believe it's one of my life's callings to tell people that God has uniquely created you. You matter. I preached a sermon series called that. You matter. God has created you uniquely, and and he's created you with a purpose. He's created you to do something, to move his human project forward. Like, he has created you and designed you and equipped you and let you experience things and made you passionate about things so that you can do something. But even if you find that exact thing, and you go at it with all your might, if your work isn't produced by faith, and your labor isn't prompted by love, and your endurance isn't inspired by hope, 
then you're going to find it unfruitful and unfulfilling. It's only when faith, hope, and love drive our work that we'll begin to really feel like that work is important. And here's the thing. Even if you're doing that, you're just like doing some lame job that you don't like and you know it's not what God's called you to do, I think you'll actually find it super fulfilling and fruitful if your work is produced by faith and your labor is prompted by love and your endurance is inspired by hope. Like the worst job in the world can become an important job if you're doing it because you're standing on the stool that these three legs kind of support. I mean, I, again, I want to I come back to Neil before I go to anything else. I just looked at Neil, and, and again, like Neil, it wasn't like a Neil do better kind of speech, but I was like, Neil, like it's just as we, this like, we had read it separately and we're talking, I was like, like your job, like think about if everybody, you know, just did it this way and like, like Neil, for you, and, and hopefully Neil's doing this um, today. Hopefully he'll do it in a couple hours here, um, or he's doing it right now. Like, uh, like Neil, what if like every interaction you had, and he has some such hard interactions, right? Like, what if you just went in there, and the, the guy that wouldn't leave the hospital room, what if, what if that was like what you said and did, like it was because of your faith, and at the backdrop of your mind, you're like, it's because of Jesus that I'm in this room right now. And then what if, what if Neil, like, it's the, this is a specific story. What if this guy, he's refusing to leave the hospital room, and, and then you just say, you know what? No matter what happens from this point forward, it's going to be done because I love this guy. I love him. Now, Neil has a government, God-given job to uphold our laws and do those things. So it doesn't mean he's going to be like, all right, stay as long as you want, right? But, like, what if Neil could just, just be loving through the whole ordeal? And then, you know, for Neil, like, he deals with the same stuff every single day, right? And what if he just kept going because he thought, you know what? Maybe I'll make a difference in one person's life. Like, I'll be inspired by my hope to endure and keep going. I think it changes everything. And it's not just for Neil and police officers. It's like in school, right? Like, if we attend school with the same goals as everybody else, it's boring and it's unimportant. One of my great regrets in life is that I wasn't serious about my faith when I was in high school because there was such an opportunity there to do something different and better, but I didn't because there wasn't faith, hope, and love driving the things that I did. It was Chad, Chad, and Chad driving the things that I did, and so I made no real difference in high school. What, what about like in your job? Like you wouldn't work like everybody else, right? Like you can't have faith, hope, and love drive your, your vocation and do it just like everybody else. I mean, you'll work harder and you'll take care of the people around you and you'll, you'll show love to a coworker that's down. Like, it's going to change how you do things. I've mentioned parenting, but man, alive, as parents, we can't just parent so that our kids are obedient and make us look good, right? Like, if faith, hope, and love drive our parenting, that's a totally different deal than like just do what you're supposed to do and hopefully make some money so you can help me in my retirement, right? Like that's a completely different deal than when faith, hope, and love drive it. And in church, I mean, we can't just, you know, can't just go through the motions, but when we gather like this, if faith, hope, and love drive these things, then it just compels us to get up across the room and say hello and to love people and to do some of the stuff we don't like doing and all of those things. And so in all of it, I would hope that, you know, as we move into this new year, that your work would be produced by faith and your labor 
prompted by love and your endurance inspired by hope. And I believe that if we will do that, if we will allow those three kind of legs to be the stool in which our efforts stand on, then it will change the way in which we do everything that we do. Let me pray that it will. Lord Jesus, man, I mean, as a pastor, I can be so guilty of falling into the habits of just like, you know, working like everybody else. I just, I mean, personally, God, I can, I can just work because it's habit, because I'm getting paid, because it's the thing to do this week, because something needs to get done. But I don't want to be that way, and I don't want these people to be that way. I want what we do to be driven by the right things, faith, hope, and love. And I, and I pray, God, that, you know, as we enter into this new year and as we prayed about earlier, it's, it's a time where we can reflect on, on what we're doing and how we're doing it and why we're doing it. And, and I pray that this why uh, would be compelling to all of us and that, you know, if, if we're just doing things out of habit um, for money, uh, to impress, to not disappoint people, that that in this moment we would be, we would be convicted of that and, and we would leave here compelled to do it differently. Um, and, and, and God, if we could remember one thing today, I pray that we would just remember that faith, hope, and love should be the driving force behind all of the work and effort that we do and make. Lord, let faith, hope, and love drive our efforts, God. Uh, and I pray that as we do that, you would be in it with us and you would help us and you would work with us and that you would produce, God, fruit, that you would make our work make a difference, and that you would help us, God, find great satisfaction in the things that we are doing. I pray all of these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.